turn up your radio, it's time for DeLorean Talk with your host, Dave Tavers. Hi, and welcome to another episode of DeLorean Talk. This is episode number 12. Woo! Thanks for uh, joining. I want to (laughs) first start by always telling everybody, if you have comments or feedback, please send a message, comments at DeLoreanTalk.com. I'm very open. I'm not going to be offended. I want to hear your ideas and thoughts on how to make the episodes better. If I should be asking different questions, uh, if there's anything on your mind, send it over and uh, I'd I'd appreciate it. So uh, be sure to check out DeLoreanTalk.com, the website. Check out DeLoreanTalk on Facebook and Twitter and all the social medias. Go check out DeLoreanDirectory.com. And if you are a fan of tracking the VIN numbers, go submit some public VINs to the uh, census, the DeLorean census. And that's under DeLoreanDirectory.com slash census. Would love to find out where all those cars are out there in the world and uh, try to help all the future people who are going to buy be able to figure out where the cars were and what some of their stories were. So with that, I will now say... Thank you to this guest. You, some of you, uh, well, I'm, I'm going to guess that a lot of you have already seen the movie. But uh, today I have Steve Concatelli on the phone. Hi, Steve. Hey, man. Thanks for taking the time. Oh, are you kidding me? It's my pleasure. So Steve was the, I'm going to say, videographer, creative director, editor. You did everything for the movie Out of Time saving the DeLorean time machine. Yes. It's easier to say that I, I produced it, I directed it, and I, and I edited it. Yes. But that really means you did every single thing on it, right? Did you have any anybody behind you other than your wife? I understand she was very <laughs> patient. <laughs> See, you went right for the good stuff. Yes, my <laughs> wife was very patient in me making this film. That's correct. <laughs> very, very patient. Um, I'm sure a lot of DeLorean owners understand having a spouse that tolerates your passion, especially when it's a DeLorean or making a film about a DeLorean. Yes. (laughs) How long did it take you from the first conversation about even doing the movie until you had discs in hand, ready to, ready to sell? Well, it's hard to admit, but it was about four years from start to finish. And during the time I thought that that, you know, that's a long time. And I, it was hard to wrap my head around it taking that long, but in making my film, I've met other documentary filmmakers, and I found out that having a film made in four years is on the low end of independent <laughs> documentary filmmaking. I, yeah. I've i met people who have been making documentaries for six, seven years. I, I know a couple that's been making a documentary for 10 years, and it's still not done. Wow. So getting mine done in four years, I'm quite proud of. I'm not in your industry, but it that does not seem like a long time to do... Uh, especially the work you did. The movie was awesome. So much great detail, great video, and great uh, vignettes and interviews with different people. So uh, Thank you. I don't know. I, it seems like that was pretty quick, especially by yourself. You didn't have a whole production company behind you and multiple cameras and different editors and all kinds of stuff. If you did the whole thing yourself, that's pretty amazing. Yeah, that's very true. I I did the vast majority of the work myself. Of course, I, I did have people that, that helped me out. I had some guys... Uh, who would shoot some footage with me on days that we needed two cameras. But for the vast majority of it, yeah, I shot it myself. I, I cut the film myself. And, yeah, it was a very, very, very long and tedious process. But uh, 
Yeah, but it was a, a great journey, and I'm very proud of the film that came out of it. Yeah, love it. So I assume that you actually had somebody else do all the graphics and titles? Nope, I did everything. I did all the graphics and all the titles. Yeah. Holy cow. No, like the wow. uh, the out-of-time, the like rusty out-of-time license plate, I designed that. And then <sighs> in the film, we did. A, I did a little bit of animation in the film. It was some After Effects. Uh, I did all that. Yeah, I I didn't I didn't have the money to hire anybody to do it. I had to do it myself. I didn't have a choice. I even I even designed the box art for the Blu-ray, like the, like the, <laughs> the front and back nice. of the box art. I had to do that. I would think that that would be easier because that's a still graphic, but the you had a lot of graphics in the in the movie, so that was fantastic job on that. I really thought you had somebody else do that. Very cool. No, well, thank you. Yeah. Yep. No, just. Uh, yeah, what is it? Necessity is the mother of invention. invention? So yeah, yeah, there was there was a lot of necessity in this film. <laughs> awesome. So I I know that uh, I've heard you. I saw I saw you actually the first time at DCS 2016 when you did a yes you did a premiere of the movie and that was the first time I saw it. I know you answered a lot of questions there, but a lot of those people are not listening to this. I think that somebody did ask you about the camera you used. I'm a camera geek. I wanted to, originally, I grew up in LA and I wanted to go into cinematography and be a camera operator. Didn't go that sure. direction, thankfully. <laughs> no offense, but. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, you made a good, you made a good choice. <laughs> what camera did you use? Did you only use one camera? Was it a DSLR? Was it a regular, you know, tape video camera? No. Uh, excellent question. Actually, this was, this would have been back in 2011 when I started shooting footage of the restoration itself. And I didn't have a camera that was robust enough to shoot, so I, I had to buy one. And I had to weigh all these options. You know, am I going to get a DSLR? Am I going to get a nice, like, shoulder-mounted camera? And I opted for a, uh, it's a Sony EX-1. It's not a DSLR. It's an over-the-shoulder, you know, uh, you know, it's what I would call, like, a, you know, a shoulder-mounted camera. Mm-hmm. And the reason I chose that is because it had better, audio inputs i could monitor them on the fly as opposed to dslrs aren't really meant to get audio you know in right. the field yeah uh and i i needed something that could just roll for a long time and that that i was comfortable with because that was my background is that kind of news gathering information style so i found a used one on craigslist and i bought it nice wow yeah sony ex1 yeah it's an ex1 um okay. and it was it's a nice workhorse. It was it was a couple of years old back in 2011, so now it's pretty dated, but it still shoots great footage, you know. And uh, it's just it's great rough little camera. You can handles a lot, and it worked great in the field. Awesome, very cool. Yeah, and that was my go-to. I shot for what two and a half years on it, so uh, it never let me down. So I have no complaints about it. Did you start with shooting the car when they first got it to the warehouse, or were you doing interviews prior to the work on the car? I started with the restoration itself. I knew it was happening. And at that point, we weren't even sure if we were going to be able to turn this footage into a movie. You know, we didn't know what it was going to be. But I knew that if I didn't get the footage, then we would never have the possibility of doing something with it. Right. So the first day that they got the car and they started the restoration, I was there shooting footage. And I, yeah, I didn't do interviews until afterwards because I didn't know what the questions would be. You know, it, it's like I had to wait for the restoration to be done so I knew what the what, what questions to ask. Like, you know, oh, remember this day when this happened? You know, tell me about this. Or it, I had to, you know, it was too hard to try to do interviews 
while it was going on. Yeah. I was there every weekend for an entire year just shooting footage, shooting everything, and with the hopes of someday we could turn this into a movie. Nice. Before the project started, how how big of a Back to the Future fan were you? Or how big of a DeLorean fan were you? Well, I would like to say that I was a huge Back to the Future fan, but when you meet the people that I know now, <laughs> it turns out I wasn't quite the, you know, huge fan I thought I was. Um, you know, I never built a time machine replica. I don't own any screen used props. Right. Uh, you know, so the, the threshold sure. for fandom is set very, very high in Los Angeles. Yeah. But uh but despite all that, I I was a, I was a very big fan. It was it's always been, you know, one of my top two or three favorite movies of all time. Uh Good the answer. DeLorean Time Machine <laughs> the DeLorean Time Machine I've been in love with since the day, you know, the day I saw it in the theater and it and it rolled out of the Doc's truck. So, yes, I was a giant fan of Back to the Future. Good. That's awesome. The movie shows it and you did a fantastic job, but Sometimes I wonder, I've seen other documentaries that I wonder if the person actually had any clue what they were shooting in the first place. And you did a great job, but you had a fairly focused project. You didn't have to go travel around the world and interview people that, that were unreachable or, uh, you know, they, these were all people right nearby for the most part, I'm assuming. Oh, quite on the contrary, good sir. There was, really? there was, yes, because several of the team members were in cities, not Los Angeles. We had, uh, Nathan is, lives in Australia. Joe Kovacs lives in Pittsburgh. Scott uh, lives in Chicago. Mark lives in Wisconsin. Oh, we had guys wow. all over the country and I had to try to figure out how to interview these guys on a budget. Yeah. And that was a challenge in itself because, you know, I didn't, I couldn't just fly all over the country making this film. <laughs> I, that wasn't possible, yeah. much less yeah. go to, overseas. So it was a lot of, hiring local crews and then doing interviews over Skype while they recorded, you know, trying to match the look in the green screen that I was shooting here in LA. It was, yeah. it was a lot of trial and error, but yeah, it was, it was an immense amount of coordination to try to make sure that all the guys who weren't just the local guys could be in the film. Wow. I, very oh, surprising. Yeah. Great job. It didn't look like that at all. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. We did. Uh, there were several remote interviews like that and they, we cut them in and they look pretty good. We had yeah. one, another one in Canada too. Now that I think about it, he shot his in Canada. So wow. yeah, they were all over the place and yeah, just Very did cool. what you had to do and hired local crews. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. You know, and well, these, that's just the tip of the iceberg of the crazy stuff that you have to deal with when you're trying to make a film, like things you never think about, like, Oh, I got to get this guy's interview. He's in, you know, he's Australia. in Canada. How am I going <laughs> to yeah. do this? Yeah. yeah. And then you have to try to figure out a solution. Well, and your background for a long time is that you are in the television, film, editing, producing industry. That's what you do for a living, right? Yes, I do. I, I mostly did reality television editing shows like on True TV and Science Channel and stuff. Uh, I also do some producing and pitching and, you know, I do marketing stuff. So I do commercials and trailers and in a lot of, you know, those short form featurette type of stuff. So Taking on a project like this was definitely in my wheelhouse, but still, I had never done a feature film before, so 75% of what I did was completely new to me when I made this movie. Wow. Like, figuring it out as I went. Like, yeah. like how do I do this? I have no idea, but <laughs> I'm going to figure it out. So, jumping back to technical 
a little bit. Um, sure. What what software did you use, primarily use for editing? Oh, I cut this film on Final Cut Pro 7, not 10, um, and I just cut it on my old Mac. I used Photoshop for the graphics. I did some After Effects work. But, uh, you know, Final Cut 7 plays very well with a variety of footage, and it's just a, you know, I know a lot of editors who still use Final Cut 7. So cool. uh, if I did it now, I probably would have done it on Premiere, but at the time, 7 was my best bet. Yeah, well, and I would guess you probably were also far more familiar with Final Cut Pro 7 than than Premiere. Uh, yeah, back then. Yeah. I mean, oh, again, 11. because this started in 2011. Right. Uh, yeah, now I'm much more familiar with Premiere, but yeah, back sure. then it was it was Final Cut 7 and uh, or Avid. Avid was good, but it just didn't. I didn't feel it was a good fit for this project. So during your interviews, whether they were remote or not, did you? You don't have to name names, but did you have a, a, a most fun interview, Some something that maybe caught you off guard that you really enjoyed and had fun with? Was there anybody notable that, that you still think about and talk about that, that interview? Boy, I got to tell you, in the case of Out of Time, the answer to that, unfortunately, is, is not really. Because keep in mind, when I was doing these interviews, I didn't have a crew. It would be the person I was interviewing and then me, and then while I would like I would set, go to their house or whatever, set up my lights, set up my green screen, set up the microphone, set up the camera, get my question list, and then I would try to run camera, run audio, and ask yeah. questions <laughs> all simultaneously. So fun really wasn't on the radar. It was it was focused. To be honest, it was stressful. Yeah, I yeah. was trying to be focused yeah. to make sure did I hit the record button? Are my audio <laughs> levels okay? And you know, and, and just kind of hanging out and having fun. That's the kind of thing you can do when you have like five people on your crew. Yeah. But when it's just you, no, I had to be focused on what I was doing. Otherwise, I would have blown it. And <laughs> I, uh, so, I get it. Yeah. so I was like, I was happy that the interviews, I recorded them successfully. I could hear them and that they were in focus. Like if I did that, <laughs> it was a good interview. I mean, I don't mean to sound like some kind of slipshod operation, but <laughs> that's just the nature of independent filmmaking. It really yeah. is. Like you. Yeah. You know, indie films, you just kind of shoot from the hip and, and you get what you can get and try to make the best of it. And I got very fortunate, you know, that uh, that the film turned out so well and, and you know, that I was able to make a movie about my favorite movie. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty rare. There's, I mean, how many Star Wars fans out there would love to do something about Star Wars, but it, those opportunities are really few and far between. One of the reasons I love the DeLorean is because everybody out there loves a DeLorean. Yeah. People smile when they're in a crosswalk and they see the car and they, I'm sure they don't own a DeLorean. So everybody loves oh, it. Totally. You got to, you got to make a movie about one of the best movies ever and especially about one of the best characters ever. Everybody knows the DeLorean time machine. Yeah. So yeah, you're definitely a lucky sucker for getting to do that. Oh, definitely. I mean, I, I got to make a movie about the most famous film car of all time. I mean, that's, yeah, and got to make the official film about it. So it's right. Yeah. Not a, not a little YouTube video. <laughs> no. When I look back on this journey, I mean, it was a long, difficult and expensive journey, just like DeLorean ownership. But that's the one thing that I go back to is the fact that of all the fans in the world, I was fortunate enough to be the one who got to make essentially a Back to the Future movie, a real yeah. one. Yeah. One that Universal authorized. Uh, you know, Universal included uh, a short featurette version of my film on the twenty on the thirtieth Blu-ray anniversary disc that came out in twenty fifteen, and and when they did that, you know, it made my film an official part of the Back to the Future legacy. Yeah. 
Yeah. And so to be able to have that honor as a fan was the, the highest, you know, it was the greatest feeling I could have. It was, that really made it all worth it. Yeah. Well, I, again, love it. I, I'm hoping that there's still more screenings in the future because there's, there's people that haven't seen it yet and it'd be great to, you know, pull something together. Maybe we, whether it's Southern California or other clubs around the world, you know, to do a screening party and, and, uh, get a bunch of people to bring their DeLoreans out. As a matter of fact, there are. We're working on uh, another Comic-Con appearance right now. I already have a film festival scheduled for early 2018. And we're always looking for great Los Angeles Back to the Future events that we can be a part of and screen the film. So definitely. Very cool. Believe me, it took me four years to make this film. I'm going to be promoting it for four years. That's the rule. <laughs> or I have to I have to sell <laughs> copies and promote it for as long as it took me to make the film itself. <laughs> Well, hey, again, four years is short compared to other people. Oh, my goodness. Don't I know it. There's there's not going to be another movie about the time machine. So this is going to no. be around a long time. There's some other great uh, documentaries about DeLorean ownership, and there's talk about Back to the Future. But, yep, yours is a pretty unique opportunity, and it's it will be part of the forever part of Back to the Future for hardcore fans. Thank you. I mean, that was something that we discussed a lot early on in the making of the movie is how am I going to make this movie, you know, and, and precisely what is the movie going to be about? And, you know, that sounds easy to say now, but at the time, you know, is it about fandom? Is it yeah. a recap of the trilogy? You know, how much right. do we get into the restoration? There were a lot of fine points that you, we really had to work hard to determine, you know, like, are we going to go down this rabbit hole of the, the type of engine that the car has? And yeah. How much history of DeLorean itself are we going to have? Are we yep. going to have any? Yeah. And so there was a lot of that determination to make the documentary unique in that fact that we wanted to cover material that no other Back to the Future doc had covered already. And we wanted to make it in depth about the restoration, but it also had to be accessible to casual fans. Yeah. So it couldn't be like, you know, we're taking off the the springs here and, and doing this. Yeah. Like that's that's too much car stuff. Yeah. And the rule of thumb we used is that if my wife could sit down and enjoy it, then it was fine. Because <laughs> she's not a car person and she's a casual Back to the Future fan. But if her eyes started glazing over, you know, because we were talking about, you know, taking this piece out of the engine or that, then it was too much. Yeah. And thankfully, we never crossed that threshold. I would guess you probably have tons of footage that people would love to see more details on. But um, who knows if that'll ever come out but yeah about a about a hundred hours worth i don't know if anybody want to see it like there's only so much footage of watching guys bang dents out of <laughs> stainless steel panels like after the first hour you're like i get it yeah i get it they, they banged a lot of dents out of a lot of panels i get it <laughs> but you know in the movie you only need like 20 seconds worth <laughs> i you say that but i think that there are some i think i'd be one of those guys that want to just watch all that extra i love extras on dvds all kinds of stuff I love when you've got the guy with a crappy camera or a DSLR standing behind the camera showing people <laughs> eating at the craft service table or chit-chatting oh, yeah. about li I I love that stuff. Yeah, I'm a geek, but I'm sure there's people no. who love to see more detail. Well, you know, I tried to put some of that stuff in the bonus features cuz I'm like you, I love bonus content. So, even though, you know, like it took me 4 years to make the film and then once the film was done I had to create and produce all the bonus content which yeah. was just another level of nightmare on top of that. Yeah. But I did try to include stuff like that 
uh, I think we included 88 behind the scenes photos on the Blu-ray and the DVD. <laughs> nice. Like, yeah, you know, like, like a cool, I wanted to make it an Easter egg gallery, yep. but yep. I wanted people to find it. So it's, you know, like behind the scenes photos taken during the restoration. And yeah. here's some little featurettes about the car that didn't quite make it in the movie. So yeah, but you know, in terms of just like all the footage, uh, I got to tell you, like <laughs> having seen all of it about a thousand times, I I put the best stuff in the film. Like that's Good. the best stuff. Yeah, everything else is just like the guys getting frustrated about putting you know the this car seats in for the fifth time. Like <laughs> right. you only need to see it once. Yeah, yeah. Are there other Easter eggs on the disc that aren't? No, not- no. I wish there were. I want okay. again. The gallery would have been, but you, you know if I. If I were a studio and had unlimited time, I would have done more of that. But sure, just being sure. myself, I'm like, look, I need to promote every single thing that's on the disc. I can't hide content <laughs> right. and then not tell people it's there. So yeah. no, everything, okay. <laughs> everything right. is everything is front and center. Next time. So during shooting or editing, did you have any major scares or anything that you know after the fact, like you know, oh crap, yes. I didn't hit record or yes, yes, I did absolutely. I had one terrifying major scare and this would have been i would say early 2014 so i had shot all the restoration and i had shot a fair number of interviews and i was i was into editing at this point and i had a hard drive failure oh and i thought like it wouldn't read it it was coming up blank i thought no problem i'll go to my backup i had been making backups and for some reason my backups had not been saving and that one was blank oh and so two and a half years worth of work was gone and i I got to tell you, I had pretty much a breakdown that day. So I, yeah. I went around the corner to, to the Mac, you know, the Mac repair place. Uh-huh. And I said, whatever you can do, please try to save the information on this drive. And a very, very tense 24 hours later, they called me back. They said, yep, we were able to get everything off of it. And so ever since then, I have done four backups. <laughs> That's I'm a computer geek with software development world. I, I have goosebumps when you're talking about that because yeah. I've done the same thing. And I, unfortunately, I've yeah. lost content. I, I lost a couple of years yeah. where the photos I, – I bought my first digital camera in 96. And oh. at some point you know, in the late 90s, I thought I had yeah. backups and I didn't and a drive died and uh, yeah, and then gone. Wow. So, you must but, have lost tens of megabytes of photos. <laughs> exactly. Uh, see, there you go. There you go. That's that's that's, that's a, a computer joke. joke for you. Yes, that's right. That that's a good geek joke. That hey, that first camera it was all built in memory. It was the maximum resolution. There was two options: regular and and high. And the high was ten twenty four by seven sixty eight. So. Oh yeah. Yep. <laughs> and actually, that was kind of the day I told myself, like, look, get serious, and you got to finish this film, you know, and so. When I got the footage back, it was balls to the wall. We're, we got to get this done because I was, you know, I was fortunate enough to have been saved from my own stupidity. And, you know, that's when I really just kind of gave it the gas and, and made yeah. a tremendous push to get the film done. Sure. Yeah, because you don't want something like that happening again. No. I mean, you know, and again, like up to 2 a.m. every night trying to edit the film and trying to get notes. And I would say 75% of actually making a film has nothing to do with the film itself. And that's the hard thing. Like, that's something, if you want to talk about filmmaking, that's something that nobody ever really tells you, and you don't experience that unless you're in it, where the vast majority of things I had to deal with were paperwork and and phone calls about coordinating stuff and, you know, getting equipment here and getting this there and getting getting this licensing deal or, you know, like, you need insurance. (laughs) To release a film, you need to have insurance and you need to have, like, 
title clearance to make sure your title is okay. Well, how do I do all that stuff? Well, I had to go find out. And <laughs> even things as simple as the title of the film, Out of Time. Well, Trademark check. Well I, I, well, I had to make sure, like, does Universal own that phrase? Can yeah. I call my film that? Is there another film called that? You know, will Universal get mad? Will the California DMV get mad? Because I'm <laughs> using, you know, the, the DMV. Look, there were a thousand questions, and I had to yeah. just figure out who to ask, who to call, and how to get them answered. And it just – and the questions never ended. Yeah. That's the big challenge. It's It's not impossible to make an independent film. But my challenge was trying to make an independent film about a very famous film. Right. That's where it becomes infinitely more challenging because, you know, making a movie about a famous movie turns out is very complicated. (laughs) And I stepped right into it, believe me. Yeah. And this is actually where I can give credit to, a lot of credit to Bob Gale. I mean, Bob was my go-to person when I couldn't figure out who to go to when I was stuck. I could call him up or email him to say, Bob how do I deal with, you know, this licensing issue for Universal Studios? And he would say, don't worry about it. Let me reach out. And then a day later, he would put me in touch with, you know, somebody in the legal department, somebody in the marketing department who could help me out and answer my questions. So, yeah, if Bob wasn't on my side, I never could have gotten this film done. So other than him, how how much involvement did Universal or even Bob or any of the, you know, the, the, the movie crew, did they give much input? Did you have any kind of planning sessions with them? Did they have any ideas for you? Uh, no, actually. Bob was involved, and Bob knew what I was doing all along. And Bob was supportive of it all along. But he never gave me, told me what I should or shouldn't do. He really just kind of gave me the support to say, you know what, go for it. Nice. And and see, that that's a producer for you, though. Bob, you could just tell he's got that producer about him. He's just like, just give it a shot and go for it. I'm like, okay, <laughs> great. During the course of the film, I did interview Michael Chaffee and I interviewed Michael Lantieri for about their involvement with the time machine and the restoration. Uh-huh. But the film wasn't even done yet, so there was nothing for them to see. Uh, I think Mike Chaffee actually saw the film for the first time at the Peterson when we had our <laughs> our giant uh, screening, and that's the first time he saw the film. So and and he loved it. Wow! But during production, no, it was it was very much the Wild West. The person I actually coordinated most with about exactly what we would have in the film and how to portray the film was Joe Walser, the head of the sure. restoration. And yeah. Joe was intimately involved in those decisions because, you know, for him, as the head of the restoration, it was about making sure that, that the truth was told, but also, you know, to make sure that it was told correctly. Sure. Early on, it would be difficult for me to maybe tell things apart or oh, is that the third time you put on those flux bands or was it the fifth time? And, and right. he would know that. So yeah. because if I, even good intention, had put something in the film that turned out to be incorrect oh. or I, if I went out and I said, you You're know, screwed. hey, there were, there, were, there were eight DeLoreans made for the film. No, there were, there were seven made. Then I would never hear the end of it. And, yeah. and him, the movie being about him, it wouldn't look good on him either. Sure, so. sure. Joe and I put the fine tooth comb to every bit of information in the film to make sure that it was correct good, and to make sure that no fan could come back and point and say that wasn't right. And actually, to date, no fan has. I, I was just going to say, there has to be somebody that has found out it was you and started questioning or bringing up things that were like, well, I don't know if that's correct. And you just go, nope, nope I, we went over the details. No, I haven't had anybody say anything like that. And and what's great, though, is like the guys in the restoration team, they saw the film first. Mm-hmm. And those guys are all of them like hardcore sure. Back to the Future fans, several layers above me. 
So if something was wrong or something was incorrect, that you know, or, or even a shot was wrong, they would have yeah. caught it. Yeah. Cool. So I'm one of those nuts that have you know watched all three movies in slow motion, frame by frame, trying to catch all the weird things, and you know, for years reading all that stuff. I know you were busy shooting, recording when they were doing work. Did you ever get the chance to help with anything? Did you ever? Did you ever get other than like here, hold this? Did you ever get to do anything on the time machine? Uh, well, the short answer to that is no, Joe. Uh, they wouldn't really let me touch the car because, and and this is it's a joke, but it's the truth. Where I didn't have any appreciable skill set for actually helping on the restoration. <laughs> I'm not a mechanic. I'm not a prop maker. You know, I don't know. I, I don't know how to change the oil in a car. I don't know anything <laughs> about DeLoreans. Okay. And so they're just like, dude, you're, you're useless. So just stay there and, and record. And that's dude. fine. Although, <laughs> yeah. although I did end up helping out in a lot of regards where at some point or other, we all had to go on like errands to go get like, okay, I need you to drive half hour away to, to this city and go pick up the, this piece that we had to have, you know, anodized and, and yeah. bring it back. So, okay, well, I'll see you in two hours. So you have to go and, <laughs> go to some crazy back alley industrial complex to pick up a piece and bring it back. There was a lot of, of that very, very unglorious work. Yeah. Then again, the restoration was mostly unglorious work. People thought it was going to be awesome and cool and fun and like celebrity and, you know, beer and pizza and hanging out. No, that wasn't it at all. It was work. Yeah. Well, trying to do that project in one year. Incredible. Yeah. So Amazing. And it was largely volunteer. And that's yeah. the, that's the part that I have trouble wrapping my head around because these guys were donating their weekends, donating their weeks, donating their nights yeah. to work on this car. And it was a giant, giant time commitment. Well, the same thing for you though is. Yes. I think any hardcore fan, given the opportunity, would have said yes, whatever they could do. Not, not at all to diminish anybody's commitment. No, that's but, true. That is a, that's a great opportunity. It's like, yeah, I have no problem. Work 36 hours straight to get this done. I'll, I'll do it because this is forever. I got to tell you, it's very easy for people to say, yeah, I'd love to be involved. I'll do whatever you need. But then when we're eight months into a restoration and it's Monday morning at 4 a.m. and you have to be to work in four hours <laughs> been working for 48 hours straight, believe me, that wears real thin. You yeah. know, when, when you're putting the car seats back in for the sixth time, because, you know, some of the bolts weren't turned right because they didn't look right. <laughs> there was no detail spared, and it really was that level of attention. And and at those points, I think a lot of those people would have washed out. Sure, sure. An amazing commitment by everybody, and I think everybody that sees the car is thankful that uh, for what they went through. Yeah. Honestly, I think if Universal had just gone to their internal transportation department, they could have turned the car around in a couple sure. months. Oh yeah, it wouldn't have been wouldn't have been the same. Yeah, you know they would have spruced it up a little bit, and and this isn't to I'm not putting their their department down, not at all. But it's the business. restoration that that Joe and the team did was, was love. a restoration that I think only fans could have done. Correct, because yeah. it was love. Yeah, and that car went together and was taken apart more times than I can count. <laughs> when you watch out of time, it seems very linear. You know, like hey, this went sure. on, and this went on, then this went on. No, that, that's not how that's not how it, it happened in real life. In real life, parts <laughs> went on, you'd look at them, not right, parts come off. Parts go back on, nope, still not right, parts come off. <laughs> but every time they would go back on, they would get a little closer to, to accuracy right. and a little closer yeah. to perfection. Yeah, correct, because that's all it was. In Joe's opinion and the opinion of everybody on the team, it's either right 
or it's wrong. Yeah. But it's not close. It's not yep. almost. It's simply right or it's wrong. Yeah. And that's what the restoration needed. Yeah. And believe me, we all hated it at the time. It was it was hard to do the restoration. It was hard to do the movie about the restoration. But in the end, now that the car's restored, the pain fades, but the car is still perfect. <laughs> Otherwise, you'd be going and looking at the car, looking at that one little thing that, you know, could have been a little better, but you were tired that day, so you yep. went home. And you don't have a chance to go back and fix it sitting in the Peterson. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, they won't have to do a restoration like this for another 50 or 100 years. Yeah. Because I, now I feel confident that the Peterson is going to take care of the car for as long as they have it. Universal, other than wanting it for certain events or, or something, there's no reason for them to take it back. No. Peterson is the perfect place for it. We wanted the car to go to the Peterson right away. But now that it's there, I mean, those guys, like, they take care of $50 million cars. And it's not the only one. I mean, they have several. Right, like, yeah. The the time machine's not even close to being the most expensive car they have <laughs> no, in there. Not at all. Not at all. I love going to see the car there. And it's open so you can see inside, you know, and yeah. they encourage fans to kind of get close and, and really just drink it in. And it's it's awesome. Yeah, yeah, they did a great job. I know that you spoke at DCS. I know that you spoke at the Peterson. Any other notable places that you can remember? I, no offense to anybody if you forget, but anything any no, place else you've No, it's all a speak? blur. Yeah. Joe and I did a panel at uh, San Jose Comic-Con, uh, Silicon Valley Comic-Con. We did that one year, and then we did Pittsburgh Comic-Con, and I'm getting ready to do Salt Lake City Comic-Con. It's just it's just a blur of conventions at this point, awesome. you know, to try to figure out. But uh, But yeah, you know, it, it, it is. It's great going out and meeting people, and, you know, fans are always appreciative to to have a connection with back to the future somehow. And yeah. my film and you know, and I'm not trying to make my film out to be more than it is, but in, in some way by being there, my film gives the fans a direct connection to the film and to the time machine. You know, yeah. it's, it's the more that we all kind of want that. Thank goodness. We'll never get a part four, but this is something yeah. legitimate. That's a little bit extra. Yeah, absolutely. Especially 30 years later. Yeah. You know, and it's an, it's a fun, interesting little back to the future story that hadn't been told before. And, you know, the fans have all reacted very kindly to that. Before working on the movie, before getting to know all the DeLorean owners out there. Yes. How many times had you ridden in a DeLorean? Oh my God. Before the film, I had ridden in a DeLorean once. (laughs) I can't believe I said that. And that was when somebody was selling their DeLorean in West Los Angeles here and I arranged to get a, to, to get a ride in it, and to, you know, <laughs> to kind of test drive it. And lo and behold, it was a stick. And man, I could barely get the clutch down. Like my leg just burned. I could, it was like trying to drive a school bus with how hard the clutch was. And it was just miserable driving. I made it like three blocks, pulled into a gas station. I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm done good. with this test drive. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, dude. Not, not going to be this car. How long prior to the movie was that? I mean, was that 15 years ago or? Uh, Two. Nah, a couple of years. I'd say maybe five years. Five years before the film. Okay. But wow. uh, okay. but once once the film, once I started doing the movie and really getting in with with Joe and the other, you know, the time machine owners and the restoration guys, then it, I getting a, a ride in a time machine was not that hard. Sure. <laughs> or or sure. DeLorean. Yeah. So. Yeah. Either way. Well, you're around yeah. those guys. Oh yeah. Yeah. Correct. And 
Yeah, I'm around. I'm around all of them now, so that's not a problem. <laughs> In fact, I see more. I see time machines more often than I see DeLoreans. Well, that says what kind of circle you run in, for sure. Oh yeah, very very small <laughs> circle of time machine owners. It's very it's it's very strange to be this close to a lot of time machine owners. Yeah. Have you ever been to uh, other than the cons, which I I don't know. I would guess that they probably get DeLoreans there. But have you ever been to a car show with multiple DeLoreans? Well, actually, the uh, the Comic Cons I go to, Terry and Oliver Holler have been there with the oh, Time Machine. Cool. Um, I don't know how well you know Terry and Oliver. They were at DCS. Yeah, yeah but yeah. they, for listeners that might not know, they are the like the official Michael J. Fox Foundation Time Machine owners, and they and they've driven to every state in the country and all over the world with their Time Machine, and uh, they've been at both conventions. So the Time Machine has always had a big presence there with. Just hundreds of people in line to get their photo in their car. And yeah, I mean, if you want to see the power of Back to the Future fandom, just follow <laughs> Terry and Oliver anywhere. Yeah, or online, follow them even. Yeah, or that, exactly. <laughs> you can get a good hint. So um, has anybody invited you to DeLorean Weekend in Vegas in October? I, I've been invited, but I can't make it this year, unfortunately. <sighs> Loser. <laughs> I know. It sucks. You... <laughs> Next year, you should uh, make it. It, it. I went last year, just loved it. I know I keep, it's like I'm hawking it. I'm not getting paid anything. I just, I met so many great people there and to get to hang out with other owners and learn things. And I'm an, I'm still a newbie. So getting to, to learn things and hear those stories as well as meet the other new people. There's a guy there that lives in Vegas that he had just got his car, I think a month earlier. And oh, wow. he was just as excited as I was and as everybody, well, the next generation of, of new owners are. Really fun weekend. At some point, you know, one of these years, try to plan for it. And it's it's Vegas for us in L.A. You know, four hour yeah, drive. Yeah, we can do that. Grab your wife. You know, run over there. You know, there's plenty of things to do in Vegas that are fun. You don't have to hang out the whole time with the DeLorean owners. It's funny. I have, I think I occupy this very small little nook of DeLorean fandom where I don't own a DeLorean <laughs> yet. I'm still kind of in the DeLorean community. It's yeah. very strange. And and to be fair, the DeLorean community has been more than accepting of me. Considering, like, I know very little about the car <laughs> itself or how to maintain it. Yeah. Although, you know, I have a passion for them. I love them, but I haven't owned one yet. Oh, I like that you said yet. Hey. Well, at some point, you never know what'll happen. True, but see, here's the thing: if you own a DeLorean, you need to have a garage to to just be able to to work and wrench on them and 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 kind of maintain and fix them. You know, that that's the that's part of DeLorean ownership, and yeah. I don't have a garage like that, so. Nope, no excuse. I when I when I bought my car, I didn't know I was getting it. I've been looking for several years and it happened very suddenly, basically within 2 hours I bought the car. Oh wow. From the time I saw the ad to the time I bought it because they they come and go real quick. When it's when it's the right car, they're gone fast. Yeah. And I lived in an apartment in Culver City, you know, a little apartment in Culver City. There was my own car was parked, uh, you know, out in the open. There was no nothing covered, there's no garage. And luckily, it was at DMC California for several months while they were restoring it after 27 years of sitting. Oh, yeah. Uh, but once I, when it was got close to time to get it back, I'm like, I was not parking that thing at my place, car cover or not. When I got the car, or before I got the car, I, fa I started looking and I just found out uh, right next to Santa Monica Airport was a condo complex. And the person said, oh, you know, I don't own a car. So I rented it from them. I got a clicker and I would go swap the car. It took me like... Seven minutes to get over there whenever I want to drive wow. the car, which even at seven minutes, that totally sucks because you can't just walk out yeah. and 
tweak something or get a picture or kind of figure something out. Um, yeah, but it's a chore. It is, yeah, and but it doesn't matter because it was there and I had it was my DeLorean and uh, so no excuse just because you don't have a garage. There's- well, maybe maybe someday in the future, but I will say that for now that I think I have invested more than my fair share of time, money, and effort into a DeLorean related <laughs> project as it is. All right, no, I, I think I've earned I, I've earned my stripes and I've paid my dues already. Instead of making Instead of owning a DeLorean or a time machine, I made a movie about one, and and believe me, it's just as expensive. I promise you, not as fun. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> okay, so in your experience now with the car at your level, anything, even back when you test drove that one, anything that surprised you the most about DeLoreans or the time machines you've been around? No, I, I can't say it surprised me, but what I will say is like to this day, Every time I see one, even a stock one, like I see it on the street or I see it parked, my heart skips a beat. Yeah. Because it's you you just recognize it and it's different and you just get that same kind of like little kid like surge of adrenaline like oh my god and my wife's just like you see them like you you know you see them all yeah. the time. Like I know but just you to see one in the wild it still just makes your heart skip a beat and I I still get that when I see one just that profile that yeah. unmistakable look I love the I love the back end of the car. I love the taillights and just yeah. it's just the shape of the back. Yep. It's just unmistakable. So that's what sticks out to me the most when I think about the car. It's just like every time I see one or they drive by, it just it turns my head and I just I can't stop staring at it. Yeah. I still love it. And I always say that's that's why everybody just smiles when they see the car. It's not just for oh, the totally. movie. It's a, it just looks cool. Yeah, I mean, if you're in a DeLorean, it's a parade. Yeah, pretty much. So do you remember the first time you saw a DeLorean in person, and do you remember the first time you saw Back to the Future? Oh, I, of course. I remember both. I'm old enough that I saw Back to the Future in the theater. Nice. So I saw Back to the Future in 85 when it came out. Boy, when that car came out, I, I knew instantly, like, I'm in love with it. Yeah. And I saw a DeLorean for real life a couple of years later. Um, It was a car dealership in Milwaukee where I lived, and my dad was took us down to, you know, they had an open house and they had kind of exotics, I guess you could say, you know, Midwest exotics, but they had a DeLorean and they let me sit in it and seeing it in person was just the coolest thing ever. And and I think a few years after that, they actually had, it was a convention that toured and they had a time machine on display, like a, a, like an official Back to the Future time machine that you could have a Polaroid taken for like 10 bucks, you know, yeah. sit in it, <laughs> get a picture taken. And it's funny because now I realize in doing research for the film, because I still have that Polaroid. No, and, that's awesome. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I thought about putting it in the movie. You should have put that in the movie. Have you shared that photo publicly? No, I, I have it. It's sitting right here. But I just, I didn't want to put it in the movie because it was a little too self-serving, because there's already a photo of me in the time machine in the film. But <laughs> this photo, um, and actually we tell the story in the bonus features, and this photo inspired it where... It turns out that the replicas that made the rounds back then, and I think it was promotion for part three, so it would have been 89 or 90, but like they were replicas built by Universal Studios, but they had real screen use time machine parts on them because they had been made from like the part, you know, uh, like I think they had some uh, B car parts on there and, and just, yeah. you know, other Grab parts that had fallen off and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so, so the replica I sat in back then had real parts on it and I always thought that was cool. And so when it came time to do the movie and Joe and I did the commentary, I told, we tell that story in the bonus features about how 
I'm sure many other people have that same Polaroid in like the little Back to the Future <laughs> sleeve that I have. Oh, and you have it in the sleeve even. Oh, yeah. I have it in a little faded Back to the Future sleeve. It, one of these days, I'll get Bob to sign it or something like that. But yeah, but I don't I don't need him to sign that to make it special. Just the fact that I still have it makes it special. Man, that would be really awesome. But I, I'm glad I have it. That's that is ironic, though. But like, yeah, that shows you how much I love the film. Like, you know, I have this. Oh, yeah. Got it. It's got to be close to 30. Yeah, I mean, 89. So it's probably 28 years old. This Polaroid. Yep, still have it in the sleeve, and I, I look at it, and I see that smile on my face. I'm like, God, I, <laughs> I still get that smile when I go see the car. My story of trying to get that Polaroid was I was living in Northern California with my dad, and mm-hmm. there was an announcement that the they were going to have the DeLorean time machine on display at this car show event, something or another. And like you said, yep. it was for promotion of part two. I saved my money. I planned everything. And it was about a four-hour drive away from where I was at. So I was gung-ho. I told everybody. I was planning it for weeks. And, you know, at 16, you you don't have a lot of experience driving long distances. Most (laughs) people don't. And I was still, you know, learning about, oh, yeah, you don't want to run out of gas. And when you're hungry, you got to stop, all that stuff. Because four hours at 16, that's a pretty long trip when you're driving. Yeah, it is. So I, I get there, I'm super excited, I pay the 10 bucks for parking, I get up to the front door, and there's a giant sign that says, sorry, the DeLorean time machine was damaged in an accident on the way here, and it's not on display. I was like, oh, dude, are you kidding? I could not believe it, yeah. So that was my, that was the time, and, and at that, I don't remember a- after that ever seeing one come around to be on display, but man, I was excited and just devastated when I didn't get to see it. Boy, that that hurts just to hear. <laughs> Four hour drive. If it had been forty five minutes, it would have been probably Ouch. not as noticeable. And I, of course, I saw the time machine on the Universal tour, um, but not just wasn't the same thing as being able to be right up next close to it rather than driving by on a tram. Well, have you gone to the Peterson yet to see the A car? I, I was there that night for the dedication for the unveiling of the A car and the movie, and I've been there many times. I had a pass, so I took tons of people. I even got in trouble because. Good. The la- last time or second last time I went, I took my 360 camera with the monopod. Oh, yeah. And was taking pictures, and I had nope. one right next to the right next to the door. And security comes over. Oh no, no, you can't do that. I was like, oh man, it's a monopod. Yeah, yeah. Security, security has been the. They jump on a lot of Back to the Future fans for taking pictures, but at the same time, that's what you want them to do. Yeah, you well, you want to keep the car safe. Exactly. And otherwise, it can turn into the same thing as what happened to Universal. People start picking parts off of it. Yeah. No, they watched that car like a hawk there. You can't get too close to it. I, and I was, yeah, I was surprised. I mean, the fact that I I got one shot, you know, the 30 seconds, and then boom, there's there's security. And, and I wasn't, I didn't, I was not inside the car. I didn't put anything in the car. It was no. just at the edge, but it was still. Nope. You get, like, nope. you get close enough or you bring a tripod, they see you, they'll, they'll <laughs> jump on you. And, and if you, don't listen to them. Yep, they'll 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 scorch you out of there. <laughs> yep. And again, that's that's good. It's good. It's good. Okay. So of the three, I mean, this is Delorean talk. You don't own a Delorean, but you've been a fan, and yes, almost everybody that I have interviewed has said the same thing. Back to the Future. Yeah. No matter how much people don't like it, that is a reason why these cars still exist today. It's a reason why a lot of people buy them and take care of them because of those movies. So for you. Which one of those three is your favorite? Part one, two, or three? Man, that's... 
I, I can't ask, you can't ask me that question for crying out loud. I made everybody, a feature movie. Everybody um, has a favorite. No, I do. I, I like them all for different reasons. One is the classic because like that one is just the realistic isn't the right word, but it's the most, <laughs> it feels like it's the most grounded in reality. Well, sure. You know, and it, and it's yeah. the simplest story. Two, I think is just fun. Yeah. Because, you know, just with, with the, with the zaniness of it. And then three, I find is just a, is a really solid Western. But if I, if I had to, if I had to just pick one, uh, I'd probably pick the first one. I'd yeah. probably pick the original Back to the Future. Yeah. It's just, you know, especially now that I'm older and now that I'm a parent growing up, you always empathize with Marty McFly. You know, <laughs> going back to see your parents. But now I'm almost at their, his parents' age <laughs> and I've got, and I've got a son. And now suddenly I'm like, Boy, I'm trying to imagine him going back to meet me in high school, and I'm on the other side of it now, and it and it it makes it that much cuter, and it just has that much more meaning for me now. What you just said—that is the first time I think I've heard anybody other than Bob's told that story a hundred times about him when him and Bob were writing yeah. it. But sure. this is the first time that I actually thought, "Oh my gosh, we, the generation that saw it as kids, we're now getting to that age." And all of a sudden, our focus is going to change from being Marty to being uh, Doc or or, yeah. or you know his or dad. Parents. Yeah, that's oh, I think crazy. about that all the time. I never have. You kind of blew my mind just now. Well, especially with the with the thirtieth anniversary in twenty fifteen, because if you know my son got in a time machine, went back thirty years, it'd be eighty five. <laughs> right, and it's just right. like you know, like eighty five when the film came out is to us or to him. What 1955 was to us. Us, exactly. And it's, oh, man. you know, and again, for, you know, it doesn't seem like that long ago, like, oh my God, I remember 85, but then our parents said the same thing about 55. Yep. Yeah. You know, yeah. and 85 and seems, that like, it seems was like ages ago. Yeah. Man. You think to yourself, well, that much hasn't changed since 85. And then you look around and you're like, oh my God, everything has changed since yeah. 85. <laughs> and it is a different world. And I laugh when I think of, you know, Marty had trouble going back and blending in and his, and his watch beeps, and he didn't know how to do simple stuff. But by God, open a bottle. My yeah. son went back to eighty-five, you know, without phones or internet, he'd be lost, and <laughs> and, and it's hilarious. That is brilliant, man. I have not heard anybody bring up that idea. I, I think that's going to give a lot of people something to think about. That's awesome. Yeah, I think <sighs> about that. I think about that quite often, and I don't mind it. I like it. Wow. Uh-huh. I suspect there's some other people out there that also just went, "Oh wow, yeah, I didn't even think about that." That we're getting to that age. Okay, so right now your job for the for the movie is to keep promoting it. Absolutely. Is there anything anything else that would be released online other than interviews and doing cons? Without a time, we're not releasing anything new, but it's just a matter of trying to spread the word. Because believe it or not, a lot of Back to the Future fans know about our film, but there's so many that don't. Yep. And 2015 was a big year in Back to the Future. There was a lot of stuff that came out. And in some ways, out of time, kind of got lost in the shuffle a little bit. Sure. So what I'm still trying to do is even now when we go to the conventions, even DeLorean-specific conventions, to let them know what out of time is, to let them know, nope, you haven't seen us before. Nope, you haven't <laughs> seen us on Netflix. We're not on Netflix. Right. If you think you saw us on Netflix, you're thinking of a different film. It's not yeah. out of time. Right. So – and then I try to tell them, well, we're – what is your film about specifically? Where can we find it? Our film is the official documentary of the DeLorean Time Machine restoration effort. And, you know, they can find us on our website, outoftimemovie.com. And uh, I ship anywhere in the world if anybody wants to see the film. All right. 
that's where I will continue to put my efforts is promoting the film and just spreading the word and letting until every Back to the Future fan knows about it out of time, I still have a job to do. And has a copy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but uh and and that's that's a that's a sizable job. Yeah. Okay, so before we wrap up, normally I ask people what they have in their trunk, but you don't have a DeLorean. So no. is, <laughs> any I have my copies of my movie in my trunk is what I have a box car. full. <laughs> That's yeah, good. A box full of copies of my film That's that good. I need to sell. Yes. Okay. So we, if we see you standing on the street corner with a sign that's real, you can stop and buy a, buy a copy. That's right. Uh, no, the thing that I would want DeLorean owners to know is that, you know, my film, it's about the restoration of the time machine, but I want DeLorean owners to know it's not just about fandom. And we worked very hard to make sure that wasn't the case. You know, it's a movie that has fans in it. But it's fans who are working hard and showing a high level of knowledge on how to restore this priceless movie prop that happened to be based on a time machine. Yeah. You know, so, and it, and it, it involves restoring the time machine that I'm sure every DeLorean owner, you know, knows something about it on <laughs> getting, you know, taking it all apart down to the frame, putting it back together, and then doing an entire second restoration of all the time machine parts on top of a time, of the car. On top of a DeLorean restoration. Yeah, it's two restorations. Yeah. And, you know, and I really think that there's something in there that DeLorean owners who aren't necessarily Back to the Future fans can enjoy and get something out of. And Back to the Future fans, of course, can get something out of it too. No doubt. It's a great movie, even if you're not a massive Back to the Future fan. Yep, absolutely. Steve, again, thank you so much. Oh, absolutely. And, I love talking to people about making the movie and answering questions. So if anybody who listens wants to ask me a question, they could just go to the website out of time, like the license plate, O U T A T I M E out of time, movie.com. And I answer every email that people send me. So yeah, if somebody wants to know a fun fact about the film or has a question, I'll answer it. Or if people have questions about the time machine and the restoration, they can go onto Facebook and ask Joe and the restoration team. And I believe there are, Facebook page is facebook.com backslash time machine restoration. And they know everything about the time machine. <laughs> Believe me, everything. Thank you. That's awesome that you're open to having people contact you like that. Oh, of course. I mean, that's the best part about doing a movie like this is just being accessible and hearing people's stories about how Back to the Future influenced them as a kid and their fond memories of watching it. it, it Bob always says that the Back to the Future fans are the best fans in the world and I'm fortunate enough that I've gotten to see part of that, and, he, and he's absolutely true. They are. Well, thank you again, and uh, I hope that, that you will check out future episodes and get some more education on the maybe the bore, more boring side of DeLorean ownership. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and I look I, forward to it someday. Good. And I, and I hope to see you at some DeLorean car shows or events in the future. Oh, that I can guarantee. I will see you in the future. <laughs> Dude, you set it up. <laughs> Thanks, Steve. Right, bye. Bye-bye. And with that comes the end of episode number 12. So uh, I'm sincerely thankful that Steve took the time to join me and share with everybody. As always, please do send in your comments, questions, ideas. Uh, if you have a suggestion for somebody that might be willing to come and join me on a call, let them know and, and forward them on to me. And buy my film. <laughs> and buy his film <laughs> and uh 
If you haven't been on, go like DeLorean Talk on Facebook and Twitter and social media. Share it with other people that are fans, even if they're not owners. Just share it with people that like the car because uh, I've had a couple of people on the show that weren't even DeLorean owners, and I didn't know it until I started talking to them because they talk online like they own DeLorean. So uh, this is not just for DeLorean owners. DeLorean Talk is for everybody, and I'm thankful for everybody that is that has written in and told me to keep doing it and that they enjoy the show. Uh, I appreciate it. Keep listening, and uh, and I'll talk to you in the future.